Welcome to Geekiest Show Ever, number nine. I'm Tim Robertson, and I've got uh, three fellows with me this week. we got Owen Rubin. I think this is the first time you've been on Geekiest Show, isn't it, Owen? I think you're right. I think so. You're, I haven't been geeky enough yet. You haven't been geeky <laughs> enough, yeah. Uh, but you've been on the MyMac.com podcast a number of times, so it's not like you're new to the uh, audience. Yeah, not a newbie. Not a newbie. Oh, damn. We, we also have uh, Guy Searle. Hello, everybody. And David Cohen. Good evening, all. Starting a little later than we had planned on this night. It was uh, <laughs> yeah. technical difficulties. <clears throat> That's all we'll, we'll say right now. That's right. Is that, it wasn't is that what you're calling me these days? <laughs> it absolutely was not my fault. Uh, yeah. I'll take I'll take the heat on this one. So, but I was going to no, blame actually, it to you. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, we, we all know it was David. So That's right, right before we started recording, um, you brought up a point or a, a story. Let's let's talk about that. Go ahead, David. I'm just reading on uh, Ars Technica that the uh, jury's come back on this second trial of uh, Jamie Thomas Rassett, who's a um, a single mom who was uh, tried by the RIAA for um, uh, infringing copyright using Kazar. Um, and effectively, she's been. This has been a retrial. She's been found guilty, and the jury has awarded 1.92 million dollars in damages to the RIAA for these uh, copyright infringements. So, or, or other words, about eighty thousand dollars per song for the um, the songs that she was accused of sharing. That's nutty. That's insane. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. She doesn't have this sort of money. Well, the, even if she did have that sort yeah. of money, even if the award was um, a couple hundred dollars per song, I kind of have a problem with that. Number one, how is it that sharing your music is any different than making someone a mixtape or recording a song off the radio? How is that costing the record company a dime? Well, as record companies would say, if they could find a way of proving you did that and sue you for it, they probably would. And this is their mentality. Yeah. Is, you know, I, I, you want- is it just my opinion, or does anybody else agree with me, that this whole suing your customer, um, bad publicity that the RAA seems to be hell-bent on doing, is the last gasp of a dying industry? No, I completely agree with that. Uh, I don't. Th- I don't think they really care. Uh, the, the oh, music, I think they do. The music industry is, you know, they're, they're having they're having their own problems, and they're basically trying to trying to make the RIAA take the hit for what it is that 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 they want to do, which is to stop everyone from sharing their music online. So the RIAA is is kind of the boogeyman that you know the music companies sit back and say, well, it's not Universal, and it's not uh, Sony, and it's not this, it's not that. It's all the RIAA, and we're so sorry, but, you know, they, oh, have they, have they gone too far? Well, we're sorry, but they just keep doing it anyway. Mm. Well, it's interesting to note that, you know, that recordings didn't have copyright until 1971. Yeah. Well, it was so difficult, uh, up until that, it was so difficult to make the recordings that there hardly was any need for it. Well, that was my argument, because you, you would have to own a, a, a good reel-to-reel tape recorder. And I think they also didn't care because copies of copies were degraded so badly that, that it, didn't, it didn't branch out exponentially. So digital has got them scared. But I, how much does that come to per song, David? $80,000 per song for 24 counts. Oh, God. 
how do they how do they justify that? So they're saying that that hundred thousand people downloaded each of those songs well, from her. It's and punitive. It was, that's uh, yeah, it's punitive. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't think they. You know, that's the that's the uh, market the, value. Know, it's, it's, n- it's not about loss because obviously the loss is the actual loss is very very small. I I, I think you know from, I've been following this trial and and she really didn't do herself any favors. Her defense was kind of built upon, um, you know, I didn't know I didn't know what was going on with the computer. I don't really know how to use Kazar. Um, Maybe it wasn't me. Maybe somebody else was on my Wi-Fi hotspot, and you know they kind of used all these. Her defense kind of used all these tricks, and I think um, you know that was fairly, fairly soundly deconstructed during the trial to actually say, well, you know, she was using, she had a particular username her, that her Wi-Fi hotspot was configured to, and that was the same that Kazar user was configured to, um, you know, and uh, she claimed that the machine had been into Best Buy and been repaired, and the dates the hard drives have been changed and this that and the other were kind of you know were proved to be to be be wrong so she kind of ended up being being made to look like she was trying to avoid showing she was guilty and i think the jury didn't really didn't like that but you know the the i think you know the wider point is this this is just it's just crazy to um you know to have these big show trials and 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 you know, have these sort of damages that people can't pay thrown around and criminalise people for something that's you, that, you know is 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 wrong. It's not you know I don't somebody who you know works producing copyrighted works of of a fashion in in what we're doing now. You know I don't believe that you should have the right just to copy stuff willy nilly and share it. And people people deserve the right for attribution and for fair recompense for what they do but this is just insane and uh, i don't i don't think the recording industry is doing itself any favors by carrying on like this and trying to demonize um you know these these sorts of actions you know what other industry what other industry sues its customers that i mean there's other ways to solve this than than supposedly quote sending a message which is what they're trying to send I, it's worth noting that when they sent the message last time, when the Napster thing went down, rec, uh, file sharing went up. It didn't go down. I mean, it just infuriated people. So, I mean, look at what's where is it? Norway now? The the pirate? They just got a seat in the Senate. Yeah. After yeah, the pirate the Yeah, no, pirate it's a, Euro, a European Parliament. The uh, the uh, Euro- European Parliament. Yeah, European Parliament. They just got a sense, uh, and that was a, a reaction to the uh, prosecution and conviction of the guys who run the Pirate Bay. Right, and but the point being is that they're going about it the wrong way. That if people are going to start going, start getting political f- fire to shoot back at these guys, they're not making friends the right way. They're, it's going to end up where the laws are going to go against them because enough people are going to start voting against them. They need to figure out how to get people to pay a reasonable fee for a reasonable use and it just drives me crazy that they don't get this well, well they are they are they already have i mean i mean already between have, exactly. itunes and amazon and, and there's all these different methods of of downloading and paying for for music legally you know the, the whole thing is it, it doesn't really matter, and what the RAAA and, and, and the record companies don't understand is that casual piracy is going to occur no matter what it is they do. So they're, they're actually their best their best course at this time would, would essentially be to ignore it because they can't stop it, and all they do is make themselves look like assholes. So well, just, I think ignore just it. let it go. 
ignoring it is, of course, the wrong answer, right? Because if they ignore it, then the law will say they're not protecting their copyrights. So, so I don't have a problem with them saying, excuse me, this is wrong. What I have a problem with is saying, excuse me, this is wrong to the tune of millions of dollars. Which that, that's what I have a problem with. You know, if they want to come to me and they say, "Oh, look, you shared four songs with your friend on a tape. You owe us five bucks." Here's the five bucks. Sorry. How about setting it up so I can do that and pay for it, right? Um, it, well, know, yeah, but then again, you know, the, the the methods of finding the people that are sharing the songs is going to be much more expensive than the cost of the songs that they're sharing. I agree. I agree. So. Yeah. You know, you can't, you, can't say, you can't you can't just say you can't just say okay, well you you shared five songs and it went to four people so you owe us 20 bucks because it's it's not going to work because they spent a hell of a lot more than 20 bucks to find out who it was that was sharing the music in the, to begin with. Yeah, but the, the they see there are their attitude is that they think they are deterring people from piracy by taking these actions. <laughs> well, but see that's the whole right? thing they're not. They're not they're, they're not, not deterring anybody. And I, and I think some of the, you know, this is now getting to the point, you know, we've, we've put up with their actions for a long time, and we've seen this escalate to the point that is now getting ridiculous. Actually, looking at the Ars Technica story, um, even the RIA, RIA spokesman um, says, uh, it appears to be not I mean, showboating on this you know, one, book, you know, uh, and, and is saying, you know, they, they've actually said that, that they, you know, they feel that this will probably stoke further anger against their campaign. Right, um, so then what was their point? Well, I, I, I honestly <laughs> I went- think, that I, I don't think they were expecting the damages to come out this high. Uh, I think... Alright, um, alright, well look, David, David, okay, it was. It's roughly about what eighty thousand dollars per song. Eighty thousand dollars per song. Okay. What the the original judgment was nine thousand two hundred fifty dollars per song. So yeah. you know whether it's nine thousand or eighty thousand dollars. There's no way this woman can pay that for these twenty four songs. So, so it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one way. Well, no, but they ruin her financially. Yeah. You know, I, I, she, she basically has to declare bankruptcy, or, or you know, and declare herself insolvent, which will. Well, even, you know what? Even if she'd won, she would have been insolvent because she still would have had a whole pile of attorney fees, attorney pay, fees, which yeah. she she can't afford. Well, um, yeah, I think you know, weren't, some, weren't some of these weren't, weren't some of these attorneys doing this pro bono? Uh, probably, the EF, I EFF think. was part part of that, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? Even if you have, uh, you know, the main lawyers doing pro bono work, you still need, you know, there's still an awful lot of admin that needs to happen that you probably end up getting landed for. We've just had a thing this week in uh, in the UK where they where there was a a report on broadband issued, and the um, the recording industry and the and the movie industry were were pushing for ISPs to identify file sharers and for kind of a three strikes and you're out type rule where they would look for ISPs to send letters to persistent file sharers saying we know what you're doing and you need to stop it and they actually wanted it they actually wanted it put into legislation that um you know if if ISPs consistently warned people and people didn't desist that ISPs would have the right to disconnect them uh, and this has kind of been thrown out as people saying there's no way that anybody's going to sign up to this but these are the kind of strategies that are, they're, they're approaching, you know, they're not happy just suing people they're thinking, oh, that's given us bad press. That's that's not working. So let's try a different approach. Let's try and get another dis- third party to disconnect people because they're file sharing when we say so. 
Yeah, well, they're let's, trying to spread the a, spread the blame. So yeah. let's take a different approach to this. What if they said to you, "Hey, give us fifty dollars a year, and you can share all the music you want, or give us well, hundred dollars, that, ten dollars a, a month." Service. Yeah, but why? Why? You know, I, to me, there's a bigger problem here. I and I'm trying to find the news. Uh, report and I can't find now they want to and it wouldn't work the way radio stations pay for music so the RA wants to crack down on radio station license fees they've cracked down on internet radio saying that that's distribution of music so they have to pay a license fee six times per song per user that the airwaves play they're not do helping their own industry they're making it worse well it's, yeah. it's not even so much that they're making it worse but I mean let, let's face it one one of their the, the biggest ways that that New music is promoted, or at least different music is promoted, is through over-the-air radio. So by increasing the fee that radios have to pay, you're essentially, you know, you're putting that very last nail in the coffin of free commercial radio. At least the free commercial radio that plays music. I mean, let's here in the United States, how many how many radio stations have pretty much gone to all talk because talk is cheap. Literally, Touché. it doesn't really work that way in the in the radio there's a, world. There's um, a name for the show, Tim. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. <laughs> what really happens in the radio biz, guy, is the, the record companies actually pay for them to pay play the song. Yeah, uh, payola. Yeah, and it's right. been going on for so long, and that's what pays. And they give part of that money back as fees, but but it's pretty small, Tim. It is. But to tell you how bad this is, though, there's a there are several websites you can go to now called RIAA Free Albums, and they list music groups that have decided not to be part of the RIAA. And I'm just looking at a list of the of the performers: Dave Matthews Band, Green Day, Eminem, uh, Bob Dylan, uh, Phoenix, Cheap Trick. I mean, these guys, these guys, even the even the artists are saying they've had enough. Elvis Costello. Excuse me. If the artists are starting to drop out of the RAA, are they are they not paying attention? Well, those are mostly artists that no, that are no longer tied to a label. And when you're when you're a music act first coming up, typically your real big break is going to be well, through label. I, I thought so too. However, uh, Dave Matthew Band's RCA, Green Day, Reprise Records, uh, Eric Clapton, Warner Brothers. I mean, these are all on. This is Bob Dylan on Columbia. These are all listed as RIAA free albums. So they well, have basically said the RIAA does not have control over this music, and there's a whole list of them up here. It's pretty amazing just how many people in their own industry have had enough with them. That should be an indicator to me. Okay, but how? What? What? What's the, just out of curiosity? What is the average length of time that most of these people have been recording? That's well, on that there's list. A lot of new bands I, I, most, most of them, most of them are like ten years or, or, or older, so they've been around well, for a long time. Just, and a lot of them have already gone through the the initial, you know, we sell our soul for rock and roll, or at least you know, sell our soul to the label to get our music out. And now they're on like their their third or fourth rendition of their contracts, where they they now actually own their own music. But I I have I, I would bet you that a lot of their earlier recordings are still owned by the RAAA. Yeah, well, they, they all are. They, yeah. they didn't know. Well, you know, the Coldplay is even on is even RAA free. That's interesting. The, uh, I'm just surprised by the list. The biggest problem with the recording industry, and it's not that people are sharing money or sharing songs, and yeah, they they point at the fact that 
we're making substantially less than we were in the 90s and the early 2000s. And the reason is piracy. Well, no, that's not actually the reason. Not the, the reason. No, the real reason is they stopped investing in new artists. Um, and when I say investing, I mean promoting new artists. That's what yep. the record industry was really, really good at back in the, the golden days. Right, 50s and 60s. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, part right. of the 90s. Well, and but then at the same time, remember big. that rock, rock and roll is now mainstream. You know, and in the fifties and sixties, that w- it was rebellious, and and now it's like your grandmother's listening to the Grateful Dead. Yes, but it wasn't really my point. My point is there, the people that are getting into music now don't have the new, fresh new artists to listen to that has a big record label really pushing them. It's very. What happened in Did the eight, in, in the nineties, late nineties, and early two thousands was. The boy band phenomenon and Coldplay. Well, not so much Coldplay. What's the other one? The uh, oh, I cannot think of the name of it. This the the wuss rock type of things that they could slap it out there and and sell it. Creed, and Creed or something. Creed, yeah, that's that's yeah. one of them. Um, and the, the, really, the big thing in the '90s was reselling you all the music you already own on cassette and LP, but now mm-hmm. on CD. I did that. Everybody did that. Everyone went out and upgraded their entire music library to CD. But here's the problem for the music industry. What are they going to resell us now? The digital downloads don't sound as good as the CD. And if we already well, own the CD, chances are we already ripped it onto our computer so we can listen to it on our iPods. I mean, I ripped you know, literally thousands of CDs onto my computer. Yeah. And then I went through and just weeded out the songs from the albums that I didn't like. Ah, there's the key, in my opinion, by the way. Is that we used to buy albums? We well, used to before buy that, CD. we bought singles. Though I mean, I know where you're well, going yeah, with this right. argument. But singles but have been gone. Singles have been gone for a long time. Since, When's the since last the time 80s. you bought a fourth buy? Right. Well, they tried so, to bring it back in in the '90s and the early 2000s, and it didn't work. Extended play. But right. so we well, always had to the, buy with albums. the eight-inch records. Right. But we bought albums. We bought no, a no, whole no. Album. With CDs, they they came out with CD singles, and the problem was they were like five ninety nine, which was cheap compared to a full length CD. But for just one song, it's crazy. You see, Tim, this is where I think I'm agreeing with your point and adding to that, that now with digital technology, I can sample the whole album before I buy it and realize I don't want it. I only want two songs, three songs. So instead of getting the 1495 to 1895 they used to get from me for a whole album, they get two bucks. Yeah, but okay. I still think they make more money in that you would not have bought the full CD regardless before, only because you liked a couple songs. Or even Probably one song that you heard. Well, right. I don't know about that. I mean, that was always the model. People That's what I did. It, it really wasn't the People model. The model was, was s- selling you what you already owned on other media. That was the no, model. No, no. But, but albums I, have always been about having three or four radio-friendly singles and then the rest being filler. Yes, right. And, right. And, uh, and they and, always you know, sold and the, yeah, and the, and the filler is there to, to to allow them to bump up the price. And what I mean, they don't like about singles it. were that way, right? The forty-five yeah, flip side was crap compared to the front. Exactly. But they, what they don't what they don't like about this. Oh, thanks for that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, geeky. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. It was. Oh, I can't even think of the word. Hey, by the way, Taylor Swift is on an RIAA free album. Brand new, brand new artist. Wow. This just to me. This just sends. This I mean, reading this list, uh, www.riaaradar.com. 
RIAARadar.com. Seeing a list of people who, of artists who have said, we don't like you either. <laughs> no, here's a group that's supposed to be protecting them and the, and the people inside the protection racket, if I can use that, are saying, leave us alone. Mm. Wow. Just, I miss 100 albums listed here. Uh, the top 100 albums. Jewel is listed in there. I mean, there's some new people in here as well. Kind of scary. Yeah, well, let's move on to another topic. Because <laughs> I think we beat yeah, that one depressing. into the ground. And, you know, as much as we I'm like sorry to think, for that woman, though. I really feel badly for her. Uh, yeah, so do I. Yeah, she's kind of stupid, but <laughs> the punishment has to fit the crime. And I, yeah. I think that in this case, you cannot justify to me, no matter what your argument is, that the punishment fits the crime. You can't punish this one woman for what millions of other people are doing and try to send a message. That's not the way right, our legal system is supposed to work. Was this a retrial or an appeal? Yes, no, this was a retrial. There'll probably be a third. Well, yeah, because this was a retrial because the judge gave incorrect information the first time around, and uh, so they re- did a retrial, not, you know, it, it wasn't an appeal. So <sighs> I, I think that... Uh, I, I think it's a it's a it's a sad situation, and for everyone out there thinking that the RA is just going around still suing everyone, remember this is an old case. It's been around for years. Um, is, is I try to follow it as closely as I can, and I haven't seen that the RIAA has sued anyone fresh in quite a while. So at least not recently. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, anyways. Um, you got anybody out there playing anything new, video game wise? Oh, where's my iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> iPhone. I can tell you that I've been playing on my PS3 quite a bit lately, and uh, when I can wrestle Star Wars Lego away from my wife. And um, Star Wars Lego, seriously? Oh yeah, she loves all the Lego games. In fact, uh, because she's a huge Harry Potter fan too, the news came out like a couple weeks ago that they're coming out with a Lego Harry Potter years one through four. And uh, the funny thing was, I don't remember, I think it was on the MyMac show, but it could have been Geekia show, that I said that they really need to come out with a Harry Potter Lego game because it just makes way too much sense. And they're actually doing it, so I think that's kind of humorous. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> they had it in the works before I said anything, but still, I'm going to take credit for that one. Um, okay, so on iPhones, I'm, I'm hooked by this game called Flight Control. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people talk about that one. Dan was talking about that. That game just drives me crazy. I find myself can't put it down until the battery goes dead. It, uh, it looks like it should be so very easy to play, and it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a very easy gameplay. It's just hard to win. I think that's a great game, by the way. The, uh, the one that I've been playing a lot lately is called Infamous. And, I don't uh, know that one. This is a game. It's on PS3 only. Okay. And the, the premise of the game, it's number one, it's an open world, so you can go wherever you want, and you can do whatever you want, kind of like Grand Theft Auto. Okay. I love games that give me an urban environment like that and let me just kind of, you know, go do stuff. There's a population. And uh, in this game, it's a little bit different in that right at the beginning of the game, something happens. This great big, huge electrical storm. And it really messes up the city. And it, there's this poison, and it's killing people and making them sick. And you're kind of the cause. You're a, a messenger. But what <laughs> happens is you get superpowers. So now... Not only do you have this open world, which I like, now I have superpowers in this world, which pushes yet another geek button. Now, in the game, you can either be a good guy or a bad guy. Oop, there's another geek button of mine you can push. Well, I can play good or bad. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the first time I played the game, I did 
um, the good side. <laughs> and then I beat the game, and now I'm going back through and I'm playing it as a bad guy, killing everybody. Just you know, before I, as a good guy, I literally tried to kill the bad guys that were running after me without harming you know the pedestrians and stuff. But now I don't care. I just unleash the lightning. I don't care who gets hit. Um, and you get different powers depending on if you're good or bad. Uh, some of the powers are the same, but you do get some cooler powers as a bad guy. <laughs> of course. Um, some of the powers in this game, one of them will, will let you kind of like float on uh, these electrical impulses that come out of your hand. Another one lets you grind like on a skateboard, but you're doing it with your feet on the railroad tracks or power lines. So you're grinding, <laughs> you're grinding along on this power line and sparks are shooting everywhere. It is really a badass game. It's one of the better games that I've played in a long time. Um, that's not really saying something because there's a lot of crappy games out there, but this game this is a $60 game and I've, I would pay $120 for this game. It's really fantastic. I'm, I'm really, really crushing on it. It's one of those games that when you're playing it and you look at the clock and it's 10 o'clock at night and you think, well, I'll play for maybe a half hour before, you know, I go do other stuff and you look back at the clock and it's one thirty, and you go, Oh, <laughs> Wait a minute. I might want to put this down now. Yes, I know games like that. I think when Zelda came out on the Nintendo 64, I, I ended up staying awake all one, all night once. Yeah. Now, now this is a, a PlayStation 3 exclusive game. Yep. Uh, and does that mean it will never come out on any other platform? That's correct. For No. Well, you mean ever, forever or... Well, maybe eventually if they port it over to the Xbox 360, but you know they wrote oh. it for the PS3. Why do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Um, for Sony, I think it's a great thing when when you have a game of this caliber that you can only get on the PS3. Um, if you go back in time and you look at the PS2, the PS2 was a, a pretty big hit for Sony right at the beginning, but mostly because it was also a DVD player. And a lot of people bought the PS2 because it was a relatively inexpensive for the time, 1999, DVD player. Uh, in fact, Blue, the Blu-ray, right? Well, no, that's you're jumping ahead. That's oh, PS3. That's I'm talking PS2, about PS2. PS2 Sorry. was a DVD player, and you got to remember okay. at the time that the PS2 came out, uh, this little movie had just came out on DVD called The Matrix. In Japan, they were selling almost one to one. Everybody who bought a PS2 also bought a copy of The Matrix on DVD. So that really helped the the Sony launch the PS2 because it had a built-in DVD player. And it, but it wasn't really a big gaming hit at first. There really wasn't very many games for it. And then this little company called Rockstar came out with this game called Grand Theft Auto 3. I've heard of that. Yeah. And it was literally a, a system seller. People were buying the PS2 just to play this game. Now, you jump ahead till you know a couple years ago, they come out with the PS3. It's got a Blu-ray player. Unfortunately, Blu-ray really isn't taking off in the marketplace. You see Blu-ray discs everywhere now. But people really aren't buying them. Um, I have not bought a Blu-ray player yet. And that's kind of surprising, Owen, because you're a huge media type of guy. You you like DVDs and videos, and you would think that you would be a natural for a Blu-ray player. Why is and that? And this even stranger, since I have two high-def systems to display it on. Um, there's two reasons. One, I going back to the RIA equivalent, the MPAA, yep. uh, I have a fairly expensive Sony projector that does not have an HDMI input. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I bought it just a little too soon. 
It shows 1080p native display. It's gorgeous, but I guess what? I can't show Blu-ray movies on it. Nope. And the reason I can't is because the HDMI won't let me output the component cables because they're so afraid I'm going to steal the movie. And the upconverting DVD players will only upconvert a DVD via HDMI. It won't do it via component. I have an older one that does so the do 720. I. I've, I've got a uh, uh, an LG that I actually had I to buy out of Canada. I have a Philips that I bought in, in, in out of out of the country. Yes. Yep. And it, um, it will upconvert to 1080i. Um, so my you movie theater you can't convert a 10 uh, a, a no, 480 or 480p to a 1080p. You can't do it. Well, you can. It just doesn't look. I mean, I have a box by a company called DVDO that uh, Anchor Bay is the real company's name that does all the conversion changes. So I can take regular TV and upconvert it, and it, it does line doubling and scaling. And it's actually, you know, it's about a quarter of the price of the Ferrugida boxes, and it really looks good, and I play things on that, and we find that standard def looks pretty good. Yep. But for me to watch movies, it means I'd have to, I have a small LCD display. When I say small, I mean, you know, something that replaced my 25-inch Sony right. that we watch news and regular TV on, and I just don't want to relegate having to watch Blu-ray movies onto that device only. Yeah. I understand. So that. there is a there is a gadget I can buy. I think it's called HD Fury, but it's about three hundred bucks. It is quote illegal because it huh. basically gets around HDMI. It's HDMI in on one side and it's DVI out the other, with the HDCP turned off. Oh, that's and good. you can only you can only buy them out of the country. They're illegal. They violate the DMs, you know, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And I'm not quite sure I'm ready, to, you know, to to just to get a Blu-ray player. I'm ready to break the law, and well, I'm kind of bummed. You know, I have the Blu-ray because it's part of the PS3, but that's not why I got the PS3. I'm a gamer first. And to get back to your question, David, is it good that this game is only available on the PS3? For Sony, it is. It can be a system seller. If enough people that have a PS3 and have this game talk about how great it is, um, there's there's going to be people out there who go, crap, now i got to get a PS3 and, and get this game. But but the, with the cost, the PS3 is so expensive. Yep, I mean, it has to be. Yeah, it has to be a really fantastic game to sell consoles at that sort of price level. Yeah, I mean, you know. Say again. Well, I'm just looking at Sony style, and it says PS3 249 dollars. Huh. Oh, you have to get it, you have to buy it with their credit card. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah. Never mind. Sub- that's a sub substantive price. I mean, it caught me price. on Google, and I was like, oh, you get 150 bucks back if you yeah. bu- take their credit card. Now, I, I have all three systems, as you know, David. Yeah. I play the Wii the least. I just think the games for that are pretty piss poor compared to the other ones. And I just feel like an idiot sitting there wagging my arms up and down with that controller <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> and I, I do play the, P- or the, uh, the PS3 more. But that's because I think it's better hardware than the Xbox 360. Quite honestly, the Xbox 360, I've had to send it in three times because I've got yeah, the red the, ring of death. The, there's, there's a reliability, reliability problem with the Xbox. But the, the point I'm trying to make, um, I have a bit of a problem with, the, with exclusives on, on particular hardware because if you're a hardcore gamer and you want to get the best of the gaming industry, you have to have all the consoles. Yeah. Right? And not many not many people can afford to, you know, buy the consoles and, and then buy the games and 
you know, a- across the different platforms. And I, I just think it, I-, I have a real problem with it. I think. Now, you've got to also def- look at how much it costs, though, David, to produce these games. They're literally millions of dollars in production exactly. on these. And if they go on multi platforms, that's even more money. Most of the studios that produce these top quality games are not very big. And unless the game itself comes out and sells a couple million copies, they're not going to make their money back and they go bye bye. So there, there, there's another problem there too. Is you could also, there are several companies, and EA did it for a while, where they had their own development environments that, so they could produce for all of them. But you know what happens? It reduces the game to the lowest common denominator. Yep, absolutely. So, so and they're doing do, that yep. now. I mean, there's yeah, some and, games that they'll develop on one platform. I'll give you a prime example. One of the games that I really wanted to buy, uh, all the pre-hype was Ghostbusters. I mean, it's got the original cast. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was one of the guys involved in writing the plot for the game. Um, I I really wanted to get Ghostbusters. So I've been following it online. I haven't bought it yet. And I see a comparison between the Xbox 360 version and the PS3 version. And the Xbox looks a lot better. And that's obviously that they created uh, for the Xbox 360 and they ported it over to the PS3. But when you look at the quality difference, it's huge. So here's a, and this is kind of what you were saying, Owen, but they're doing it a little differently now. What they do is they develop for one platform and then they deploy it on other platforms. Uh, That's kind of what they do with PC and Mac games. They make it for the PC and then they port it over to the Mac. Uh, Although you're seeing less and less PC games now that's not also available on console. And guess what? They're developing first for the Xbox or the PS3 and then they're porting it to the PC. Then they're porting it to the Wii. And you're absolutely right, Owen. The quality just goes to crap. Yeah. Well, the, so the, the so I was the point I was going to make is they either can spend millions of dollars doing good ports to each each platform because it's it's not it's not cheap, or they can do a lesser quality game that ports easily to all platforms. Or they can spend a lot of money and make a really exceptional game for one platform and concentrate their efforts there. Happening. I, I heard. Uh, well, you no, know what? actually, yeah, but, it's yeah, the but, opposite. Most games coming out now are for multi-platforms. Oh, but he, but here's here's the problem for me. If the game if the gameplay is good enough, it shouldn't matter what the graphics are like. Oh, if I argue sh- that for years. Yeah, yeah you so, say that, but if if you buy a game and you're playing it on, say, the Wii, and then you come over to my house and you see the same thing playing on the Xbox 360, you're gonna be pretty ticked off that your version looks like crap compared to my version. <laughs> Not because I'm running it on a 46-inch LCD screen, but because the hardware, the graphics power, the horsepower of the Xbox 360 is so much greater than basically the 1999 technology inside the Wii. Yeah, but I, I, th- I, think, I, th- I don't think that's a fair comparison when you look at between Wii and Xbox. I'm talking about Xbox and PlayStation 3 because those are much more on the level. PlayStation 3 is more powerful than an Xbox 360, but in terms of, of graphical horsepower, both of them are way ahead of the Wii because the Wii was never designed to be a graphical powerhouse. So but what I'm what I'm kind of getting at is that I what I don't I I don't really like the fact that that you know a good game can come out on just the Xbox or the PlayStation Three but not both. Well, it's and it's rare that one does. Limit the market. One does. What you're seeing now is less of that. You're you're seeing less exclusives than you did in the past, and that's economics because a company comes out with a, a pretty good game. Let's say we'll take Bioshock. It originally came out on the Xbox 360, and it was like eight months before it came out for the PS3. 
That's because yeah. they, they, they made the game for the Xbox 360, sold it. It was doing well. They saw that the market probably could have it for the for the PS3 as well, so they went ahead and ported it over. And it looks damn good. But it took them eight months because it takes a lot of time and effort to, to make it multi-platform. you got to remember yeah. the Xbox 360 and the PS3 internally are two totally different machines. That's right, yeah. yeah I mean, and the cell processor is not easy to program for from everything that I've read. It's not... <laughs> so and and really the Xbox 360 is a IBM G5. So you're you're talking about two totally different platforms and for a small company to make it multi-platform is not an easy endeavor, especially remember, if you start remember. with the 360 and you look at the installed base on the PS3 and you go, is it really worth spending, you know, $1.5 million to convert it over for the PS3. But, Tim, the problem is not the processor that runs the game, because that's handled by compilers today. You're, you're, you do all that in high-level languages, and 95% of that goes away in the compile stage. The problem is all the custom work they do for the particular graphics chip sets that are in each box, which are, of course, different, yep. and they take they make high use of... Like, when you go to the PS3, it's got wonderful, you know hardware for doing these great 3D graphics well, so does the Xbox but entirely different wonderful hardware so that's the part, all that custom code that's in there for the custom processors has to be rehandled and that's really the major problem Yep. and honestly, I don't really care what because like I said, I own all the platforms I really don't care which platform it comes out on as long as the game is good that's all I really care about and in this case, I almost said prototype which is a game very similar uh, which is for the Xbox 360 um, that just came out. But uh, Infamous is one of these games that when you see it played or you... It's really more of a visceral, you have to sit down and play it yourself. It's it's a game changer. It's one of those things that you'll play and go, wow, I wish all games were this good. And I, I, I love the game. And I don't care if it's on the 360 or the PS3. Although, like I said earlier, I prefer the ps3 because number one it seems more reliable and number two it's much quieter um everything runs very noisily on the xbox 360 if it spins the disc yeah, it's noisy yeah um you can now install games on the hard drive but unless you got a big hard drive for it which is another 150 dollars um you really can't in fact i'm i'm literally running out of space on my xbox 360 right now i've got like 64 megabytes left uh, like, I, I I can't even download a demo at this point. I picked up the the one with the sixty gig. I can't. Remember. It was the middle of the road model. Yeah. And I imagine it won't be too much longer, you know, before that starts to get kind of filled up. Now, is how, what do you have to do to replace that hard drive? Uh, when you buy a new hard drive, and it has to be one from Microsoft. It's not just any USB hard drive, which is BS. Um, and the next one up is a hundred twenty gig hard drive. What you do, it comes with this little cable, and you plug one into the other, and it sucks the. Uh, data from one hard drive over to the other, and then it basically trashes your old one, so you can't use it again. Oh, and, so you can't even resell it? Well, you can, but it, let's say you've got the 60 gig. You could resell that to me, so I could upgrade my 20 to it. But then my oh, 20 nice. doesn't have that data on it anymore. Oh, okay. So It, 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 yeah. it backwards erases it. Okay. You, this, you, what does this program run? I'm sorry? What does this program run that does this? I don't. I have no idea. Oh, you send it to them and they no, do No, no, no. When you buy no, it, no, you plug no. it in and it does it automatically. 
Well, that's X- what I meant. It runs on the, the hardware. The, yeah, the Xbox does something for it. Yeah, this, this is, yeah, this is they, basically how they prevent you from just copying something to a hard drive and giving it to your friends to use instead. Well, it also prevents you just cracking that case open and putting a uh, you know yeah, a standard drive. drive in. Yeah. Which which actually, if you look on eBay, you you can get the cases and the drives and do that, and and uh, they will sell you a piece of software that will format the drive for the Xbox. Yep. Uh, but obviously, then you've got no warranty, and if it kills your Xbox, then Microsoft are going to say, "Well, tough." Yep, too How bad. odd that we're back to copy protection again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you make it, and, and both uh, both Sony and Microsoft have, and Nintendo have said that you're going to be able to get for, first run games, uh, and not just you know the the WiiWare and the you know the crappy games. Basically, you'll be able to get first run games like say the Ghostbusters that just came out. You'll be able to get it digitally, so you can download it on the same day that it comes out in retail stores, so you don't have to go to the store and buy it. It'll just be on your hard drive. Yeah, which but you've got to buy the hard drive. <laughs> well, you got to have large hard drives, and that's yeah. where I think the biggest problem is. With the price yeah. of the hard drives dropping out there, for Microsoft to, to charge $150 for a 120-gig hard drive for the Xbox 360 is criminal. It's just yeah. criminal. For that much money, get, I should be able it. to get a, a terabyte. Well, you can, uh, yeah, I mean, if you buy for a PC or a Mac, you can get a terabyte drive for that money. you probably get two, actually. Exactly. 120. 120 or 150, one of the two. I think it's, 100 and, I think it's 120 bucks. But it, it's, there's, there's absolutely no reason that I should be able to, that I shouldn't be able to just plug a USB hard drive into it and, and use it. Now, you can on the Sony. That's the funny thing. I could plug an external drive into it, it'll see it, and I could put stuff on it, uh, as long as hey, it's not a, a game. Want a web page that tells you how to do it at home? <laughs> yeah, send me a link. Email it to me. <laughs> the thing is, is uh, I, I mean, th- this is interesting now. We start, start to talk about the downloads, because obviously downloading games makes sense. These things are all internet-enabled. So, you know, going out to the store and buying a disc is, you know, it, is kind of, you know, it's a bit... 20th century, really, mm-hmm. in my view. <laughs> what, but what do you think about what do you think about this new PSP, the PSP Go, that is designed strictly around that? Doesn't have a UMD drive in it. Well, it's um, basically Sony's answer. It's convert. It's taking what they did before the PSP and making it more iPhone-ish. That's right. Yeah. But the hardware is double the price of the existing PSP, which. Uh, even though it's, it must be co- must cost them less to manufacture because it doesn't have the UMD drive in it. Oh, and by the way, all the existing PSPs can do exactly the same thing. Yep. So what what the hell's all that about? Well, I mean, not everyone already owns a PSP, and maybe you you know you just turn eighteen and you want to get into mobile gaming, and here's a solution for you. you I, I don't guess? have a problem with that, and they could charge whatever they want. It doesn't mean people are going to buy it. My guess is this will have a phone in it by the end of the year. Uh, you want my guess? I think it's too late. Mobile yeah. Apple has already taken the the number five spot in portable gaming. Oh, I it, know. It goes just... Wii, Xbox three sixty, um, uh, the the DS, yeah, uh, PS three, and then Apple. And yeah, you know, forty five million units is a good target for a platform. That's very good, and that's only going to grow. You well, know, especially I, especially with a ninety nine dollar three G. Yeah. Uh, the the biggest problem with the iPhone platform as a gaming device is really how limited it is with just the touch screen. Um, now, you know, we all, and well, Guy will tomorrow, we all own iPod touches or iPhones. So we've all played the games. 
and some of them are very good. I, right now on the iPhone, I'm really into Peggle, but it, it's it really doesn't compare to the, the the type of games that you could play on the other platforms. And you really do need that a button that's not covering the screen while you're playing. That's the biggest problem. You know, you, you can't see so what like you're the, doing. Like the new PSP slides open for the controls, right? Exactly. You you need actual controls to make it uh, a very rich gaming platform. And Apple just doesn't have that. Anybody? Bueller? Well, uh, no, I yeah, what what they do have though is they have hardware support in the API now, so presumably that's a problem that can be solved in fairly short I, order. I, I've been saying for a long time that what they need to do is they need to marry the iPhone with the Apple TV, and they need to have uh, higher quality games that's not meant to be played on the iPhone, that's meant to be played on the Apple TV on your television, and the iPhone is simply the controller. I think if yeah. Apple went that route using the existing iTunes Store. I think they would be hugely successful. But then again, I'm a, I'm a video game player that likes to play in the living room on a big screen rather than, you know, hunched over my iPhone trying to see what I can see on such a tiny little screen. I think that's the biggest problem with the iPhone. It, the screen is just too small. And if I'm controlling anything, that's even less room for gameplay because you got to have a place for my thumbs. Yeah. And just tilting it and moving stuff. That might be okay for the flight sim that Owen and you were talking about, David, but very few games are going to be very accurate when it comes to that. You can't really do a shooter very well with Actually, tilting. Actually, flight, flight Control is is one of the few games I've ever played on the on the iPhone where they've really got the control right. You, yes. you, you don't, there's, no, there's, no, there's no tilting at all. Effectively, what you're doing in Flight Control is you're trying to land planes on a runway, and you literally, as the plane comes in, you just drag your finger onto it and then drag out the path you want it to follow. Uh, and it does that, and it makes it very easy just to, um, you know, to make the planes go wherever you want to go, and you can adjust that very quickly. But that's just suited to that particular type of game. I mean, obviously, you can play a, a first-person shooter that way. You could, but I, it, like I said, well, I it, think it'd be yeah, a little clunky. Yeah, uh, well, and and the problem I think one of the other problems you have with with a touchscreen interface is that if you're not careful, it can make the game too easily. It can, uh, what? you know. It, it can make it too easy. Oh, gotcha. Um, you know, I mean, for instance, in a, in a first-person shooter, you know, if you just touch on the screen to say, I want to shoot here, here, and here, well, it can, it can just be too easy because you there's no skill involved in actually aiming and missing and that sort of thing. It's just touch the screen, this is where I want to shoot. So being able to uh, interface and, and interact with a game in a way that, get, that still, you know, means it has challenge... In, in games that kind of we used to playing is 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 something that's that I think is a really difficult problem to solve, and uh, I do think that some sort of external hardware is is certainly for the for the touchscreen is the uh, is the way you want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Belkin has to seriously consider that device that was a hoax. Did you guys all see that? Yeah, I did. That looked really interesting to me. It, you want to explain Belkin what says it is? It's a hoax. It's a hoax, unfortunately. But you know, maybe they'll change their mind. I love the concept. If you hadn't seen it, it basically was two pieces that you kind of hooked in around the side of your iPhone and it plugged into the connector on the bottom and on the left side it had a big button and the right side it had four buttons in a triangle or a diamond shape like you know most of the game controllers and it was supposed to be game controllers for your iPhone and sadly last year they said it was a hoax which is too bad right the, the <laughs> I problem was hoping with it, it would come out 
<laughs> the problem with anything like that, I guess, will be, uh, you know, uh, trying to get enough traction in the market that people start developing for the hardware device. Yeah, you've, you've um, got to have... It's, it's got to be more than a one-trick pony. Right. Yeah. And, and um, you know, if Apple... If Apple produced something, then then I guess developers might start looking for that uh, device and and developing their software to support it directly. But if Belkin or the device has to has to has to mimic the controls that are already there. So if tip yeah. left, tip right is a control, and this device looks on, then when you hit the right and left button, it has to send a tip left, tip right equivalent. Right? Yeah, you know, maybe that could be done. I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting thing to think about because one of the problems the PSP has faced is that games which you might think would port down from from you know from the other Sony platforms have not been ported as easily because the control scheme on the PSP is different. It doesn't have two analog sticks; it only has one. That has always been my biggest problem with my current. I've got the first gen PSP, and I like it, but for, I'll give you a prime example. I bought both the Grand Theft Auto games for it. And it, it kind of sucks playing it on there because they are almost direct ports. They change the storyline and the characters, but, I mean, you know, it's basically yeah. the same game engine. But without those dual analog sticks, I can't turn and run and shoot, and it's just clumsy. Yeah. It's just not as much fun to play. Yeah. it's I control this is an important challenge that needs to be solved for these platforms and... Uh, you know, look at look at the DS and, and the DSi. They, it can be difficult with those games, with the games on there sometimes, because you have a completely different control system than anything else on the market. So, how do you adapt a game to something where you have two screens and a touch and a touchpad as well as the the normal controls? Well, it seems like Nintendo cannot do anything wrong. Whatever they come out with, this seems to be a huge seller. Well, and that changes, though, over time. It's just their turn. Oh, no, that handheld platform, if you go they've all the way it. back to the original Game Boy, yeah. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've really been there. And, and I think they're the uh, the stalking horse in the market for something like the... P- like the um, Sorry, not the PSP, the, the iPhone, is, is the fact that Nintendo has this huge installed base. Yeah, yeah. So I know a lot of people are listening to the show, and uh, you know we're coming up at 50 minutes, and they're thinking, I thought this was going to be a music show this week, like last week, or <laughs> like last show. Well, what happened was, this was supposed to be uh, Mark Rudd and Guy Searle's turn to pick their five favorite songs for movies. And um, outside control jumped on to Mark, and it took control of his body, and no, not really. What happened was he, he had some... Uh, business slash personal issues that he had to deal with, and it was scheduled at exactly the same time that we record the show, so he couldn't be here. So we've postponed that for at least the next show. We'll see what happens. I mean, and that's the nice thing about this show, guys, that it's not about anything. It's kind of like Seinfeld in that regard. <laughs> you you put a st- you put a stop on his check though, right? We, oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's not getting paid. <laughs> so we will do that show. I really enjoyed doing that last week, David. Um, I don't know if you went back and listened to that show, but I thought of like four or five other ones that I should have picked instead. <laughs> and I think that's well, kind of the nature of the beast, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> I think it, I think it all it can all depend on your mood and memory. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, it was interesting, though. Very interesting. I, I went and put the uh, one of my picks that I didn't actually use for the show, and that was the theme from Indiana Jones, and I actually closed the show out with that. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of fun to do. 
Um, did you did you pay an RIAA fee on that? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. They should be getting that check any time now. So if you, guys, fail, guys. if you guys want to contribute yeah. to the show, let us know what you think, anything like that. Send an email to feedback at mymac.com, and uh, we'll... Uh, iTunes. What about iTunes? Rate us on iTunes. Don't forget oh. to rate us. Yeah, go on iTunes and rate us. So you know, for, a, for a show that was kind of rambling and didn't really have any major focus or topic. I think we did pretty good, guys. Almost an hour. So we're going to wrap up the show now. We'll be back in two weeks. And uh, unless I'm sitting there playing with my new iPhone 3GS too much, then I'll I'll forget forget. to record the show. And yeah, So we'll be back.